Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Josh Carr Show. It's been a little while, everyone, because I was actually in Washington, D.C. this last week, and I had a fantastic time. I'm going to show, I'm going to actually talk about it a little bit on the show today, as well as I have a a little bit of a vlog that I'm going to be posting Thursday night, so stay tuned for that. It was a really cool conference, a little bit more about it later, but today we'll be talking primarily about Joe Biden's recognizing of his seventh granddaughter. Um, As we're going to discuss today, Joe Biden isn't necessarily, he's not the poster child for a great grandfather, uh, and he's not someone that we should be emulating, but he's not the only one, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on the podcast today. Again, I apologize, today will be a little bit shorter because Even though I just got back from this trip, I am actually going into eye surgery tomorrow, hence the glasses. Now you might recognize me. This is my disguise. Uh, I do have pretty bad eyes. I was going to try to do the podcast without glasses just so I would look normal, but I can't actually see my computer monitor. So I'm doing it with, and I can't see my notes and I can't just speak for 30 minutes without notes. So I'm leaving them on today. Apologize for it. Hopefully it doesn't look too weird with glasses, but hopefully tomorrow I should be able to see without my glasses forever and ever. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of a recovery period from the operation, so I apologize. You might not see as many videos this week as normal either as I prep for the surgery and take a little bit of time off after it. But getting into the news for today, Joe Biden recognized his seventh granddaughter. If you didn't hear, Joe Biden's approval rating has hit a low point. And when I say low point, I mean truly the lowest point, which I got to be honest, it just it does surprise me a little bit. He's not doing great. Nothing great is going on, but nothing newsworthy is really happening. I suppose outside of this going on, um, like Afghanistan was just abysmal what happened there. There were worse times in the economy, you know, when inflation was hitting eight, nine, 10 percent, among other gaffes that have happened during his presidency. So I am surprised to see that his low point has come now. It's hovering in kind of the high 30s. 40% is kind of the most conservative. Maybe maybe the, I would say 40% is conservative. Even I know we should trust polling in a way because it is larger than just our anecdotal evidence. But if you go out and talk to people, are there really 40% of people who are cool with Joe Biden? I have a hard time believing that. I would say his approval rating is closer to 35%. So I'm on the side of a little bit more of those extreme polls. But in any case, the average poll comes out to about 40%. That's what he's sitting at. That's not great going into the first Republican primary debate, which is happening this month. People are going to really start thinking about the 2024 election. And even though he's not being, well, he is being a primary, but although he's not going to be part of any primary debates, and he's really at this point not in any danger of losing his incumbency as the Democrat uh, primary leader as the nominee, it's still not a good look for him as people start thinking a little bit more about 2024 and people might start registering Republicans so they can vote in that primary. With the Bidens, there is a lot of scandal that's gone on. I mean, we know about this Hunter Biden smoking, or I shouldn't say he's probably not. Well, I don't know. He's probably smoking it too. I don't know what he was doing with it. I, I just know he was snorting it off of prostitutes, but you know, cocaine, cocaine in the white house. We've got uh, his business dealings with Ukraine, China, all of that craziness, but it doesn't end there. It continues mostly with Hunter Biden. That's rough. I, I got Well, I would say I'm sorry for Joe Biden because he's got this deadbeat son who's always giving him issues. The problem is Joe Biden's like part of it. If he wasn't part of it, then I wouldn't, then I would maybe feel a little bit worse for him that he's got this son that's making it bad for him. I mean, these are things that I think a lot of presidents have to think about unfortunately it's their family what are their family doing what are their family 
their actions, unfortunately, go upon them. And so that's the case with Hunter Biden. But in this case, Joe Biden really doesn't have a lot to do with it. He does, unfortunately, have to do with what he said on it. And that's what he's kind of being brought to task with right now. So Hunter Biden had sex with a prostitute uh, four or five years ago. Well, I guess it'd be five years ago uh, and had a baby with her. Now, this baby's name is Navy. Beautiful name, by the way. Like, I feel bad for this child. I, I, I want to put that out there just really quick. I feel bad for Navy because your parents are a prostitute and Hunter Biden. That's rough. So anyway, all the sympathy in the world for Navy. Hunter Biden had sex with this prostitute, had this baby. Hunter Biden was forced to pay child support. There were some nasty legal battles there. I'm happy he is paying child support. In, in fact, he should be doing a lot more. That's a podcast for another day, but just talking about how abortion is being spiked so much by male and female unaccountability and irresponsibility. That is a definitely a conversation that we need to have. And that, that's something that Hunter Biden's definitely been a part of here. But he was forced to, ch- to pay child support. He's talked about it at length. I'm not going to talk a lot about it because I'm not really interested. This is really a story about in the tabloids. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but it's really not that important of a story. It, it has an underlying idea behind it that I want. That that it's the reason why I'm talking about it today. There is an underlying reason why this is an important story, but the story itself is really not that important. Republicans are going to pounce on it. Out of all the things that we could attack Joe Biden on, even Hunter Biden on himself, not not the one, but it is still important. So I want to talk about it. Hunter Biden was forced to pay child support for this. Joe has said he has six grandchildren up to this point. Okay, so Joe Biden has a pretty large family, but um, whenever he talks about it, he says like he uses he used the word six and it's kind of funny too because a lot of journalists have this has been a story for a while because navy has existed for four years and well, i guess five years if you include the pregnancy so i don't know if it was in really the with i don't know if that was really in the public light at that point i think hunter biden and the, the biden family in general were really trying to keep that quiet but essentially journalists would come to him and they'd say hey Joe Biden, and they would do it in like these sneaky ways. I appreciated it, by the way. I think it's funny, but they would say like, tell us about your grandchildren, name them off. And he would name them off and he would name all of them off except maybe. And sometimes he would forget others by accident, but people would press him on like, are you just forgetting the names of your grandchildren or are you deliberately leaving out one of your grandchildren? And it turns out he was deliberately leaving them out. He finally came out this last week and gave a kind of half-hearted answer about how Navy is there but that he's leaving things to Hunter Biden to decide and his his partner. Basically, his reasoning was that, hey, I'm just not speaking to it right now because it's not any of my business and I'm just trying to be respectful to their privacy. On one hand, I understand that. And I think that's a powerful kind of ethos to, to give to the American people because he's, he's supposed to be the nice grandpa, right? But in all reality, the Bidens come from a big place of power and money and they've had this child in their family, one of the seven of Joe Biden's grandchildren, and they're not financially supporting it, especially right now. One of the reasons why people are talking about it is because the child support that Hunter Biden has been giving is now decreasing. He's trying to decrease that child support. And so Joe Biden has been ignoring it this whole time. He's finally coming out and saying, the reason why I didn't talk about it was because I was kind of leaving it to Hunter Biden. And everyone kind of agrees that that's just BS. And he, what really happened is he just didn't want that out there. I mean, that, it doesn't look good to have a child a grandchild that came from a prostitute and your deadbeat son. One of the things that he said, Hunter Biden literally said this. He said, I was such a mess during that time that I didn't even know what was going on. Like he didn't even remember that he had had sex with that prostitute. And so it actually took a DNA test between 
you know, for the baby, for them to determine that the father, well, the prostitute knew the father was Hunter Biden, but to prove to Hunter Biden that it was his because he claims he was in such a bad mental state. And I don't know if that's true or not, but regardless, not a good look for Hunter Biden and even worse look for Joe Biden because he is also promulgating that and supporting his son in the nasty business that he was a part of. The story is fantasized a bit. Like it's not a big deal, to be honest. And I, and I say that it's a big deal for Navy. It totally is. And I and that's why I'm talking about it. It's sad for her. I hope she has a good life. But it's not a big deal in American politics. It doesn't really matter. This is not the issue that Republicans need to focus on. They are, there are way worse things that the Bidens are doing, such as what's going on at the southern border, how they're complicit in sex trafficking down there, as well as letting millions of migrants across, how they have done awful things abroad in Afghanistan, Ukraine. There's much worse things that they could focus on than this small little issue, which is indirectly tied to Joe Biden. It's not even really Joe Biden's thing. So I know that Paul, and I want to talk about this. I, I've had a recent change of heart in American politics. This is, the, this is the reason why I'm talking about this today. I have had a change in politics. And this has happened maybe just in the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about it a lot as we approach the 2024 election. I know that politics is about preference. Sometimes you have to choose between the lesser of two evils. That was certainly the case for me in 2016. Um, I didn't love Ted Cruz. I didn't love Donald Trump. But in the end, I had to make a choice based on my preferences. When it came down to even after the nominations between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I didn't love either of those candidates. But there was just no question in my mind, Hillary Clinton is way worse than Donald Trump. Way worse. And so... Even though politics is about preference, sometimes, and this is where I'm changing, sometimes you have to think about your actual ideologies, the principles behind your beliefs. And what I realized, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later when I talk about the conference I went to this week, there are actual consequences behind ideas. And sometimes we tell ourselves that politicians are part of camps. We say Donald Trump is a conservative, but we didn't actually sit to think for ourselves for a second what that actually meant. What is conservatism? And upon further investigation, what I found is that Donald Trump is not a conservative at all. What I found is that there are a lot of politicians that are Republicans, but they're not actually conservatives. And frankly, I've actually found that some Democrats are conservatives. And so this doesn't mean I'm voting Democrat. I don't see any Democrat right now in enough that has enough support from their party that I would ever support them. Uh, I would have a hard time voting Democrat in my lifetime, but it's not off the table because it's ridiculous to take that off the table. I guess what I'm trying to say is the reason why this story is important because it shows that Biden is not conservative. Biden is not, he doesn't embody the principles that I care about. And I used to not care about that so much in my politicians, but I'm starting to more now. Are these people that we actually should look up to and that are actually going to triumph, like triumph over evil? They're actually going to go forward with correct principles and attack evil. Again, sometimes it's order of preferences. This we're, we're dealing with a nation that has many different opinions, and so preferences are important. But in this instance, the reason why I think this is important is because it shows the Biden family is not virtuous. The Biden family does not have principles or beliefs that actually motivate them. We'll continue to talk about this more in the podcast. I'm gonna I, I care more personally about critiquing the right at this point because I want them to be successful on the left. Everyone knows that the Bidens aren't anything virtuous or righteous. 
But I want to talk a little bit about the state of the rising generation in the conservative movement. And this comes from the conference that I was just at. So this week I went to the Young America's Foundation conference in D.C. We stayed at the JW Marriott, super pretty. It was right next to the White House. It was an awesome conference, generously supported by sponsors. So it was free for me to go. Free for a lot of students to go. There were probably 400, 500 students there. And we heard from some really cool people, just to name a few. We heard from Liz Wheeler. We heard from Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Mike Pompeo, Lila Rose, Zuby, uh, Ennis, Cantor Freedom, uh, Riley Gaines, etc. I mean, we heard from like 40 people, but those are just some of the most noteworthy. And they were all really great speakers, all conservative, came from different um, walks of life. And all of it was free. So really cool. And there, like I said, there were 400 to 500 young adults there that were in college, just like me. And I want to give my overall impressions of the conference, but more importantly, where we're headed as a nation, because the rising generation is where we're going to be in 20, 30 years. I mean, the people that were at the conference already are voters. They're actively participating in the political process. Very soon, in the next two or three years, they can run for Congress and then beyond. And so it's not too much further until the people that were at this conference may have a big impact politically on our country. What I noticed from the speakers at this conference and what I want to talk about is that the leaders of the conservative movement are pushing virtue. I was very happy. I was very encouraged to be at this conference because all the speakers were talking about godly principles. They, some of them were talking a little bit more Republican, if that makes sense. They were talking politically like vote Republican. But for the most part, they were talking about allegiance to an, an idea, the idea of conservatism, the idea that there are limiting principles on government and that we have God-given rights. And that these rights are essentially protecting us from the government. They're not given to, we're, we're not getting these rights from the government. The government is simply there to protect those rights. They were already given to us from God. These are what the speakers were talking about. There's almost no speech that was done this week where God was not mentioned in it. And as a, as a Christian conservative, that was really encouraging to me. It reaffirmed to me that my faith still coincides with my political beliefs, which I, I think is really important for everyone to have. If your faith and your political beliefs are at odds with each other, you got to really rethink those. You got to th- rethink one of them. Uh, just a couple of like smaller observations. Then I want to get to the big idea with all of this. People loved Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, he was awesome. I love Vivek Ramaswamy. And for most of the, pretty much every single speaker, I was the front row. I was pretty zealous about getting in the front row. Some of these were dinners and some of them were just kind of tables, if that makes sense, where you're just kind of sitting and listening. But Vivek Ramaswamy was a dinner. I was literally in the front row. I was probably 10 feet away from him as he spoke. Spoke for maybe an hour and 15 minutes. He took questions. Some of the questions were pretty controversial. Some of them were like pretty standard. Any, you know, any Republican or any conservative could have answered them and given the classic conservative answer. But he took hard questions too. He talked about Ukraine and his hard stance on that as well as China, which is not necessarily the most um, popular belief, even among conservatives. Just the night before, we had Mike Pompeo, who was very pro-Ukraine and pro-sending the money. Whereas Vivek Ramaswamy is very much wanting to end that war and stop supporting Ukraine. And so it's really amazing to hear his great honesty. What I want to say about Vivek Ramaswamy really quick is it was amazing in, it's amazing to me how his personal flair of being there really increased people's support for him. So that whole day people were asking each other, I was in conversation with all kinds of people about who are you supporting for 2024? 
And it was always Trump, DeSantis, one or the other. I would say it's about a 50-50 split in the room. Uh, personally, I think the, I, I thought the Trump people didn't have a really strong argument for it. The DeSantis people were pretty classic, just good policy. We like what he's done in Florida. A lot of the people I spoke to were from Florida or at least going to school in Florida. So it makes sense that they would support him. But after Vivek came and spoke, a lot of them started saying, you know what, I might vote for Vivek Ramaswamy. And what it taught me is that it's amazing in elections how personal one-on-one interactions trump everything. You can get on the, the news and start speaking to people. You can win in debates. You can, you can do all these online things, and certainly they work very well. And frankly, Vivek Ramaswamy has done a great job through media. But nothing trumps that one-on-one experience. And even myself, who would not consider myself a Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, number one, I, I certainly like the guy, but I'm definitely a Ron DeSantis guy. I'm, I'm open about this. Even him being there, I thought to myself, dang, like just, just his presence. It just feels, it feels special. When I go to vote at the ballot box, I'm not going to think to myself, oh, I've seen Donald Trump in person. I've never seen him speak in person. But I've seen Ron DeSantis and I've seen Vivek Ramaswamy speak in, in person just in the last few months. And so that, to me, is going to make a big difference. And so I saw that. Anyway, that was just a, a little bit of a thing. A lot more people were on board of Vivek after hearing him speak. It was, it was very cool. I will say as well, the best applause of the whole conference, it lasted probably 30 seconds long. And it was when Vivek Ramaswamy was kind of going on his little, uh, his campaign slogan is truth. And what he was talking about, basically he says truth and then he speaks of the truths. He kind of has like these nine core truths. Some of them are like, God is real. Um, there are two genders, things like that. The applause was insane. It was electric when he was saying those. And here's what I, re- and I was hyped too, by the way. And here's what I realized. People are hungry for truth. When they hear those, just those core truths that we know, we don't need to even see the studies and the science support them, sure, but we don't even need to see those things. When we hear those truths, it resonates within us as conservatives, and we cannot help but clap and freak out because they're under attack. And that was something that Vivek Ramaswamy did very well, and it just reminded me of how conservatism is founded on core truths. It has a foundation, a rock foundation, whereas progressivism has no foundation, has no limiting principles. I fear that this is what I want to end on. This is my critique of the right for the day. It goes along with what I talked about Joe Biden, the reason why I've covered the story with his his seventh uh, grandchild, maybe. I fear that too many on the right have no reason for supporting Trump anymore. This is what I've this is what I noticed at the conference. And I've noticed it on social media as well. They want him because the left attacks him. And that's the only reason why. Because the left is attacking him, they've decided that somehow he's their hero without actually looking to see if he is conservative or not, which is what I brought up before. The biggest realization I had about America's conservative youth is that when we want actual conservative principles, it when I guess saying it this way, we want conservative principles. We want truth. That was evident in Vivek Ramaswamy just simply saying those things. And he's saying them powerfully, you know, with, you know, with, with great stage presence. But when he was saying those, the room was like on their feet, cheering. Trump doesn't stand for those principles anymore. Most conservatives, if you ask them, is Trump a virtuous guy? They're, they're going to say no. You're asked why you're voting for him. He's, they're going to say something along the lines of, He's going to get the job done or look at how the left is attacking him. And I'm not saying getting the job done is not a reason, but here's what I'm saying. Are we conservatives? 
or are we Trumpians? And if you're Trumpian, fine. But what I'm saying is that there's a lot of conservatives out there that are sick and tired of politicians that don't actually have a desire to put forth conservative principles. We talked about being a good husband, father, mother, daughter, being chaste and virtuous during this conference. A lot of speakers are talking about it. Those are all the things that Trump is not. Trump is not virtuous. He's not chaste. This isn't a secret. It's not, I'm not trying to belittle Trump or throw out these ad hominems. It's just a fact. He's been, he cheats on his wife. It is what it is. And conservatives, or I should say non-conservatives, Republicans are saying, you know, we don't care. But do we care about conservative principles or do we care about random allegiance to a man that we've made out to be a god? My final word on this is the conservative youth are powerful. Our ideas are just simply sound. They're just correct. Our biggest obstacles are laziness and not being savvy enough. People on the left are very savvy. They're ready to go. They've got plans. They've got ways to cheat and rig. The question is, do conservatives, especially the youth that are coming up, have the same sort of tools to fight back? And I'm not saying tools that are evil, but fighting back by the same rules that they use, as well as using virtuous principles to attack the left. We have to be savvy enough, and we cannot be lazy into just supporting random people without actually vetting them and thinking to ourselves, are they actually conservatives? That's my question for everyone today. I hope you'll consider it. And thank you so much for watching this episode of The Josh Carr Show. If you like what you heard, consider subscribing down below. If you didn't like what you heard, please comment down below and let me know what you didn't like. I'd love to interact with you guys down there. Remember to like and send this to your friends as well. Thanks.